back doors fly open, guy lands on top of me and my friend, knife in the throat, car speeds off down the road, stops, two more guys get in, blindfold, handcuff, pistol in the mouth, wow. your money or your life. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Happy Tuesday, fellow human. Zachary Stockhill here. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And a big thank you to everyone who has, so far, over the past few months, left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or however you listen to your podcasts. I'll remind you again now that if you're enjoying my podcast and you'd like me to continue making new episodes, please take a couple minutes out of your day. Go to iTunes or your podcast provider of choice and be sure to leave a rating and a review. I really appreciate them. And what's more, I, uh, I read one today that uh, was very kind and it was very um, encouraging. And it gives nice, uh, nice motivation to, uh, to, to keep doing this. So if you haven't already, please leave a rating or review and tell me and the world what you think of the show. On today's podcast, I bring you part two of my conversation with my friend Jordan Luke Collier. In case you didn't listen to part one, Jordan is the head coach at Ars Amarada, an organization that um, essentially helps men, but soon to be women, I guess, but mostly men improve their relationships with women and have more joy, vitality, meaning, purpose in their lives. It's a wonderful organization, and I was very pleased to be able to connect with Jordan when he was traveling in Chiang Mai earlier this year. In part two of today's conversation, Jordan talks about more about his thoughts on relationships and relating to women and seduction and all of those good things. But he also shares some really good stories about a couple of near-death experiences he had and uh, how they did or didn't shape his perspective moving forward. And I, I particularly enjoyed those stories. We get into a whole lot in today's discussion. We cover a lot of ground, as per usual, <laughs> around here on this podcast. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. And women, I think, will enjoy and, and get a lot out of this conversation. But I think particularly this is this this particular part of the conversation is a valuable listen for men. So men, I would strongly encourage you to tune in and listen to the rest of this. Without any further ado, I present to you my friend, Mr. Jordan Luke Collier. I think we talked a little bit. There's a, I suppose you call him a dating coach in Australia called James Marshall with a company called The Natural Lifestyles. And I think a lot of their stuff is really, really good for men. Uh, and he talks about it being an essential life skill for men to know when to end a relationship, mm -hmm. when to move on. Yeah. This is a tough question, but do you have any thoughts on that? Like when, when is it time to, to move on? Because he, he talks about a lot, and I think he's right, I've certainly seen this, you know, with, with, um, with my clients as well, 
that I think most guys stay in relationships for too long. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on when, when how to know when it's time to, to move on? Oof. I think it's tricky to give some general advice because when it comes to relationships and particularly moving on, every man who might listen to this, if he's got a blind spot around moving on, then it might be a bit of a different blind spot. Mm. So some men move on far too soon. They get really freaked out before any deep intimacy is actually established. So they might kind of go into relationship and then pop straight out of the box straight away. So my advice would be to a lot of the men that we have as well in our community, my advice is actually stick it out and things might get really uncomfortable and really gruesome. What do you mean by that stick it out? Well, we attract a lot of very wonderful, sincere guys with a bit of a Peter Pan thing going on. Can you unpack that a little bit? I'm really curious. Peter Pan just unserious or just just hopping from relationship to relationship or yeah, no commitment. Yeah, or scared of commitment. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. It, it it's a it's it's a funny combination. This has really been my story as well. Um, it's a funny combination because on, on you know we can't be easily put into a box or vilified as being a bad guy hmm. because there is a real sincerity. I, I want to have love with a woman, but on going close to a certain depth of intimacy or connection, I freak out because one, what if I get seen in this place where, you know, I don't want to be seen? Mm. What if she finds out how deeply uh, inept, unlovable, shameful, unworthy I am as a man? Like if she gets a sniff of that, then she's going to leave me anyway. So I might, I might as well eject myself while the going is good. And three, like, you know, if I actually make a, uh, a promise or a commitment, I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to that. Mm. And really flying back to the rites of passage thing, a lot of us men haven't, you know, we, our bodies and our passports display elements of being a full-grown man. But there's, there's a way we need to know deep in our soul that we've lived our life enough so that we can actually openly and wholeheartedly commit to a relationship and for so many men there is this lingering thing I haven't quite lived my life enough yet mm. I haven't traveled enough I haven't succeeded enough I haven't got my business where I wanted to get it yet I haven't sown my wild oats I haven't yeah I haven't got enough you know flags <laughs> whatever it is or that fantasy I had about the Cuban girl and dancing all night with a salsa is still in my head I can't let that go I need to travel on and seek the beauty I'm seeking so a lot of men eject from relationships too soon that's fascinating yeah yeah that's interesting because it seems like in my experience i see the opposite of that but like what you're saying makes complete sense yeah and then and then there is of course the opposite one and i think there's a couple of questions behind this like one is um you know the deeper thing about men what we're looking for more than sex is home and I think if we can be in a relationship and a woman envelops us and has, has us feel a sense of home, that can become very, very difficult to leave. Yes. Because if you're not, if you don't feel able to actually meet a woman, put your interest and your desire openly on the table and begin a new relationship, 
it's like if I walk away from this, I might not ever find that sense of home again. Mm. I'm going to have to go through the loneliness, the uncertainty, the, the, the ineptitude of trying to meet women and failing, the dating game where actually eight or nine out of the ten women that I meet are going to be like way less compatible than the woman I'm already with. So a lot of men find themselves in situations where they where they settle. Yes. And some men stay in a relationship far too long, maybe. And some men go into relationships they should never get into for the, in the first place because they find a sweet sense of home, but they're not in love with a girl. And that happens like routinely across the board. You feel safe. I'm insecure. I will stay with you. So the other life skill that never got cultivated is the life skill of showing up and speaking your truth. Like if you, now that I fundamentally know as a man that I've got what it takes to, you know, might not be able to take every girl to bed, but I can meet very high quality women most places in the world that I go and begin deep, fulfilling, often, very often sexual relationship. Now that I've got that skill, I don't have to settle because I, I know what's possible for me. So that's another life skill to, to develop. Absolutely. And to come back to, to something you said a long time ago, you mentioned, I said something about um, having success with women. And you said, well, what's success anyway? What does that mean in that context? And you're absolutely right. It's so true. Like someone could be in a miserable marriage for 30 years and that would be called a successful marriage because they didn't cheat on each other and they didn't break up. Whereas someone could have five or six really beautiful, mutually fulfilling relationships, but that's not success by some other people's metrics, right? Yeah, I think it's about, yeah, having your own idea of what does it mean to have a successful romantic life and living true to that. So here's a question for you mm -hmm. and for me and for everyone who's listening. What does success with women, or if you're a a woman and you like men or if you're homosexual you know what does success with men what does success with the opposite sex mean to you what does it look like yeah Whew. turn um, the tables mr interviewer yeah <laughs> i see what you've done there um ultimately i i want to I wrote once, like, I don't want to get laid, I want to get lifted. Like, the sense of, of spiritual nourishment and just bringing more joy and, and life into someone's life, you know? Um, and, you know, a good relationship, I think it's like the person's holding up a mirror. Like, you mentioned some guys cut and run because things get a little too real, shall we say. Or it's like, if I stay, she's really going to find out about all my shit. You know, like, she's going to see the ugly sides of myself which are you know we all have um and i guess I, when i think about a successful relationship i think it's it's cliched but yeah a sense of real mutual growth um mutual respect and that totally unique to love feeling of aliveness and possibility and true intimacy like really being seen and really seeing that person and embracing all of that, you know? It's like really, and I, I think about being intensely present in that relationship and just really, really, yeah, I want to get lifted. And, and I think 
yeah, I would define a successful relationship as one where we both, for the most part, conducted ourselves with honor. We were honest with each other. And we brought a lot of joy, a lot of laughter, and a lot of life to each other. Yeah. What about you? That's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know if I could put an answer into such beautiful words. Well, thanks. Just like the second piece of that is, um, I noticed you didn't give a certain length of time to that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you know this, I know this. You can have a very brief encounter that can be extraordinarily meaningful, that can add a great deal to your life, that can add a great deal to, to your lover's life. I mean, length, I think... No, I don't think you have to be together a certain time for it to be successful. It's, you know, has it made you both better people in some ways? You know, that's, that's I think, the, the truest metric that I can think of, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you have me, my thoughts racing back, <laughs> getting nostalgic on you. Racing back to what? Uh, some... I've been very blessed in my life to have known some truly extraordinary women. Yeah. Um, not dozens, but some really, really, really great women. And the gifts they've given me, you know, it's, um, it's very difficult to put, in, to put into words, you know. Um, because I, I hear men talk about women sometimes in terms that I can't relate to, where it's like, and I, I want to look at them and I, and I, I feel on, in some ways very sorry for them. It's like you've never, because I can tell, it's like you've never known a really great woman, have you? You've never had that experience where you meet a woman who just really rocks your fucking world, you know? And, and you rock hers and you really, you know, that, like that sense, like I, I don't know how to put it better, that sense of aliveness, of, of vitality that really you can only get, you can't get it from skydiving or doing cocaine or it's like that feeling you can only get from really having an extraordinary and honest and beautiful encounter with a beautiful woman. I mean, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing better than that, you know? And I feel sorry for guys when I, when I meet them and you can tell within, you know, a couple hours of knowing them, it's like, oh, you've never had that at all. Have you, you know, you didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know. I think in, in my life, I, I've certainly had times where I wasn't feeling like I was um, connecting with women in the way that I wanted to. But I feel like throughout my life, I, I've been pretty fortunate in that, yeah, I've, I've known some extraordinary women. And I've had that in my life more often than not, which is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you really have turned the tables around. What uh... <laughs> you're spitting gold, like? But well, it's, what's... This, this is my favorite piece of the podcast so far. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, this is well, what's, just what's amazingly more, sad. Like one thing I can relate to Zan hundred percent about it's like what's what's a better topic than women? What's more interesting than women? What's what's a, what's more fascinating to talk about than than you know sex and dating and relationships and stuff? Like what can you can you think of something? I can't, you know. Death. Death, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> George's making fun of me, I think, because I told him that I have a countdown on my computer, <laughs> which, which says, 
so I think the, the average, this is going to sound messed up to people, but I don't, I don't care. So on my computer, I have a countdown timer, but today it says 48 years, 11 months, and 15 days until the game is over. So I think I calculated the average age for a Canadian man to die is like 78 or something, and I just turned 30. So yeah, um, well, let's talk about death, actually, because I think you and I might differ on, uh, on the way we, we see it, right. the way we approach it. For me, I, I got, when I was probably about 19, 20, I started becoming very, very interested in Buddhism and emphasis on the present moment. And, and I went to India, um, spent some time in Varanasi and you know, watched these funerals taking place and the burning bodies. And, and, and that, I think that trip, that first year I spent in India, that really shifted my perceptions around death. It got me thinking about it in a different way. And uh, a few years after that, I got into Stoicism, which there's an emphasis on, you know, considering your own death and on the shortness of life uh, by Seneca. And, and I read some materials and it started, got me thinking that I want to think more about death in my own life. Uh, and I want to think more about my own death because it's like I, I told you, I watched the Jim Jarmusch film Dead Man oh, yeah. recently, which, spoiler alert, ends with a death. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, and I found it really motivating and, and inspiring, and and because the game is going to end, and and my time is not, you know, um, going to last forever. And I think for me personally, when I consider that, and when I have that being a common consideration in my life, I find that my interactions are more lively. Like I can enjoy this conversation with you, you know, this random string of events that led us to this kitchen. <laughs> um, I can appreciate that more and I can appreciate this moment more because, you know, we like to put death out of our mind. We like to pretend that, you know, we're going to be here forever, but it's, uh, yeah, it's going to end. And I don't know what the next thing will, will come, but my God, when I look at the gifts that I've been given in my life and, and the life that I've led so far, all the things that I've been able to do, there's so much to be grateful for. And there's so much to be grateful for in this moment and it's not gonna last forever, so. Um, but, I mean, I realized, I wrote to a friend, uh, my mother died a few, few months ago, which is still very raw uh, and enormously painful. And I think I wrote to a friend shortly after that happened that, you know, I wrote about death and I, you know, I tried to, I talked a lot about all this, this understanding of death, but I was full of shit. I didn't get it. Um, my mom died and that this has been the first major loss I've ever experienced. And it hit me like a brick wall hitting a brick wall. Like it, it was utterly shocking, utterly jarring. And the sense of loss and the sense of finality is something that I was not prepared for at all. Um, and I think I understand death a little more now. You know, I think I, and I think that I'm, you know, I'm trying to use the, this tragedy in my life as sort of an instrument of enhancing my life more because it's, it seems a lot more real now. It's like this game is not going to last forever. These beautiful, wonderful people in my life, they're going to be gone someday and I'm going to be gone someday. And it's like, good Lord, like what more excuse do we need to really embrace this moment? You know, does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I guess I, for some time now, I've really tried to keep, I, I think about my own death 
which yeah seems strange to some people but i find it inspiring what do you reckon i like the conversation i mean i even feel a bit of a spooky feeling now in what sense well you sharing that story and with mm-hmm. me it's like it it's a big thing to consider yeah you know, I, i could say heavy but i mean heavy has the connotation of you know let's not go there it's not fun but actually i feel warm towards it hmm. like i would like to I, i think you're probably better versed with death than i am hmm. and i only started to explore the topic because people that i look up to and find quite wise told me to become intimate with death and what yeah. that actually means a lot of eastern traditions they emphasize that kind of be friends with death or you know something something yeah. of that effect um I forget where I who said this, but it was so pithy and so perfect. I forget where I read this or who said it, but someone said, "Isn't it amazing that when we're born, that's the only thing we know that we're going to die. That's it. That's the only guarantee literally in life." Um and we spend most of our lives trying to forget that and put it out of our mind, you know? It, it's like the irony of ironies. It's uh yeah. I've been great at that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I so so avoid in certain periods of my life. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll share a couple of stories. Please do. This is um this is my previous relationship to death okay. and um even now it's like I'm fascinated by it and I'm very not very well versed in this conversation, you know, like be- I I I, I, I <laughs> bring bring in a beginner's mind to death, right? Yeah, right? How about that? Um I am typical Sagittarius type. which i mean if you know what that is i know like very very little about horoscopes so enlighten me so believe what you want about the horoscope i just like it because it describes a part of my personality so succinctly but i'm ever adventurous ever optimistic always you know if if i get into a problem i'm going to land on my feet mm. you know like the cat i've got nine lives type thing and everything i do is going to turn out wonderful like that's my fundamental orientation to right. life. So it's been really good, you know, to live a life of adventure and somehow questions around love or loneliness or heartbreak or longing and that that side of the street that that's been my you know, I haven't suffered death around me, mm. but I've come, I've had two near death experiences. Really? Yeah. And it's so freaking weird how I feel that this has not really marked my life in a significant way and and I reckon it's a massive denial like you know the conscious forces or the unconscious forces that want to suppress these experiences have put them way outside of awareness. I just before I got to Argentina like I said before there are a number of factors that added up for that to be a challenging time in my life mm. but I got kidnapped in Bolivia. Wow. Yeah. knife point gun point essentially we we arrived late at night bus didn't pull into the terminal as it's supposed to we couldn't get a licensed taxi we got one off the street dropped us off in a back street and uh in a very dodgy part of town and it didn't feel like the hostel and I shout at the guy keep going this is not it this is your hostel keep going back doors fly open guy lands on top of me and my friend knife in the throat car speeds off down the road stops two more guys get in blindfold handcuff pistol in the mouth 
um, wow. your money or your life. So this is the quintessential South America travel nightmare. This is the thing we all fear when we... Totally. <laughs> this is the... Yeah, yeah quintessential. Wow. They even made a movie about this called Sequestro Express. It's huh. about the, the, you know, the fly-by-night kidnappings of Venezuela. So we had this in La Paz, in Bolivia. And they took us to an apartment for 24 hours. Handcuffs, foot cuffs. I got the gun, you know, the, I got pistol whipping, you know, and I... Give us your fucking bank card details, gringo. We're going to fucking kill you. Tell us the fucking truth. No fucking... In the wow. face. Yeah, and they, they took all our credit cards, went to the bank, took out money, came back, really pissed off with us. We know you've got more than $200 per card. Like, mm. stop messing around with us. Of course, we've got a bank limit. You can't take out a certain amount in Bolivia because the English bank is going to think that's weird and put a limit on it. So they asked, when can we get more money out? 24 hours, you've got to wait until the limit is renewed. And we waited in the apartment 24 hours and they were all sat around drinking beer, sniffing coke, watching movies on the TV, making weird ass, you know, humiliating conversation with us. So what are you, where are you at mentally for this 24 hours? Like, what was that like? I snapped into um, uh, fueled by adrenaline. So I didn't sleep very wired up um i felt hyper responsible because i spoke spanish and i could get what was going on my friend couldn't so i felt guilty and responsible for the whole thing um and i went completely into cooperation and maybe my sagittarius thinking is like oh this is going to be all right it's going to be all right it's going to be all right there's just the own like the deep rooted belief in the fear in that moment yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I felt afraid. Wow. I couldn't tell that to you because I just imagined that we would be all right and we're going to cooperate and they don't want to kill us any more than we actually want to, than we don't want to be killed. Hmm. Like the easiest thing for all parties is that they just, they take our camera, our iPod, our money and they let us go and they don't have blood on their hands basically because, you know, you're going to have to chop chop up the limbs and put it in a garbage bag sure. and throw it in the chop. We've all, we've all been there. It's not, not pleasant. <laughs> Straight out of the Sopranos. You, you, you've been in the garbage bag. <laughs> en route I've to watched the a lot of Sopranos. Oh, yeah, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of mob movies. Shit. Wow. Yeah. So 24 hours later. 24 hours later, they let us go. Yep. They just, what, dropped you off in the middle of town or something? No, on the edge of town. Yeah. They said, listen, we're going to, um, we've got a plan for you. And of course, you can't tell the police what, what happened. Mm-hmm. You are going to have to, um, we're going to drop you off, blindfolded. You're going to count to 10. At the count of 10, take off your blindfold, not before. And you're going to get into a taxi, go to the bus terminal, take the first bus to Santa Cruz, 12 hours across Bolivia, get to San, Santa Cruz airport, um, and fly to Argentina. You're going to get out of the country. You're not going to tell the police about what happened. You're not going to deviate from that route that was set out for you. And if you do, that will kill you. And how do you know? Well, we're going to send four people to follow you all the way on the bus. We're going to follow you to the bus station, follow you to Santa Cruz, follow you to the airport, watch you board that plane and leave the country. You're not going to tell us what happened. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, sure thing, sure thing. They give us our passports back. They give us our flight ticket. I had an Argentina to Italy flight ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, they give us enough money so that we can actually get to Santa Cruz, which is, you know, a handful of dollars, like 10 bucks basically, but it it was some. And then they dropped us off in this alleyway 
we count to 10. By four, they sped off into the night. And then we count all the way to 10. I take off my uh, hat. We were wearing those, you know, those stupid Peruvian things with mm-hmm. cover the ears, you know, that tie up beneath yeah. your chin. Llama hats. Yeah. And just took it off and it was, you know, hair uh, mashed up with blood and stuff like that from the hat. We took it off and I hugged my friend and I'm so freaking so sorry. Yeah, so freaking wow. sorry. Where is your friend at during this? Were they freaking out? Well, we, we couldn't talk because every time I tried to translate for him, they'd hit me with a gun. Right. So um, he didn't really know, but he was he was just super quiet, you know, like a sausage on the floor, kind of waiting for the thing to be over. It sounded like he was pretty pretty cool about the whole thing he was he was reasonably chilled out about the whole thing as was i like in a sense full of adrenaline and so on but you know he didn't act out i think the worst thing that we could have done is act out fuck you guys no that could get us killed for sure so do you follow their instructions no we we walk down the road and i'm like mate it it's actually going to be easier for them to kidnap two more gringos than it is for us to um, get them to follow us all the way to Santa Cruz. I don't reckon they're following us. And we looked around, it felt like no one was watching us. And I'm like, besides, someone's got to tell the police because this needs to know about. And also, we need to get insurance for our camera (laughs) (laughs) and our money back because they've taken by this point like a couple of grand from our accounts. And that's, you know, that's a lot of traveling money. Yeah. So um, we get in the taxi and I sit in the front of the taxi this time because last time I was in the back and I sit in the front of the taxi and I put my arm around the taxi driver and I say, listen, you're going to take us to um, the Gringo Hostel. You're going to take us to the hostels where all the Gringos are. Any f- you're not going to take us anywhere else. No deviations from this route. No back alleys. We're going to stay on the main route the whole way through. And if you even try and do something funny, I'm going to crash this fucking car and kill you literally holding the taxi driver hostage do you wow. fucking understand you're going to drive us to the fucking hostel right now wow and, and he did and we went to the hostel we went in the hostel we checked in and we told our story and they sent around the um, armed like bulletproof police car the next day and drove us to the British Embassy drove us to the to the tourist police and we reported the story so you stayed in Bolivia for a while then? well this is the the death piece mm. So when I'm on the sofa, blindfolded, handcuffs, foot cuffs, you know, really uncertain for my life, I'm, I'm literally, uh, I didn't feel like I was praying, but I was just saying, please get us out of here alive. Please get, out of, get us out of here alive. I'll do anything that they say so that I can get out of here alive. I will do anything. And as soon as I get out of here alive, I'm just going to go home to my mom. I'm going to get on the first plane. If, if I can just get out of here alive, I'm going to fly back to England. I don't need to travel anymore. I don't need to do this trip anymore. I just want to be safe. I want to be alive. I want to go home. Like, just please, 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 please. So, <laughs> so I'm begging, right, for my life. As soon as the car pulls out, I'm kind of embarrassed, like listening to myself retell this story. But as soon as the, the car pulls out of the thing, I turn around to my friend and I'm like, fuck this shit, we're going to go straight to the police. <laughs> so, so it's like, we don't do what they tell us we're going to do. Then we, then... You're not doing what you told God you were going to do. I do I, <laughs> I'm not telling God, you know, I completely backed out of my pact with God. And, and then I'm like, 
you know, we go into the hostel that night and we sign into the hostel and we're like completely shaken, white as sheets, you know, yeah. emaciated in some way. And we go into the garden and we're like, you could do with a beer, right? Yeah, I could do with a beer. And we sit down in the hostel beer garden. You know, this is the days before iPads and all that shit. So travelers used to talk to each other and tell each other stories. It doesn't seem to happen so much nowadays. Um, and then we soon discovered that we had the best story on the backpacking circuit of 2007. So everyone listened to our story fresh, you know, fresh out of the kidnap. We didn't even have a shower yet. Mm. We start telling the story. All of a sudden, it, it feel, <laughs> feels like a fun scrape that we got into. Wow. And then we're like, we look, we look at each other and we're like, we're not leaving La Paz now because we have to wait for the police. And then we have to wait for the tourist police. And then we have to wait for the consulate. There was a whole bunch of stuff that we needed to do over the next two days. Then we got ill. Don't know if it was some food or stress or whatever, but we spent another two or three days in bed, diarrhea, all that kind of stuff. And then it's like, oh, we made a pact that we were going to leave La Paz and we're still here six days later. Nothing bad has happened to us. These people are not following us. And then we got on a bus and we went to Sucre. And then we, and you know, ate steak and hung out in the lowlands of Bolivia. And then we got on another bus and went to Potosi because we wanted to see the dynamite mines. And then we went to the dynamite mines and... Did you tell your family what happened? Are no, they aware of this? No, they still don't know. You're kidding me. I think so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I hope they listen to this podcast. Well, I hope they don't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean... Wow. And then... And then we were like, well, we're in Potosí. We want to go and see the salt flats, right? The amazing salt flats of South Bolivia. So we go over there and we end up in the desert of Atacama in Chile. And then we're like, oh, now we're definitely safe. Like, there's no way they followed us to Chile. Now we're out of the country. Chilean wines, Chilean food. We rented a car, Pisco Sour. We went into the Atacama Desert. We got lost in the moonlight on our bikes. It was magical. Stars, observatory, you know, just in this desert. We crossed the mountains to northwest Argentina, Salta, Tucumán, Jujuy. Like this, these provinces are just extraordinary. We rent a car and we drive all the way to Buenos Aires in a car, stopping in all these little villages, eating steak and meeting the locals. That was like one of the best trips of my life. Four of us in a car get to Buenos Aires, partying. And do you feel like you didn't, on that trip, you didn't really uh, take a moment to reflect on what had happened and how you kind of just cheated death and what does that mean for the rest of your life you're saying you were just kind of keep moving forward put it to the back of your totally mind hang out in buenos aires went to mendoza and then i lived in mendoza for a year so it's like i'm in mendoza uh semi-depressed not really understanding why asking my friend for you know advice on women he sends me you know freaking david d'angelo which but but the underlying thing is like it is something out of place because of that whole experience. And I didn't want to go home. I'm like, no way. I came here to live in Argentina. This is my dream. I'm not going to forfeit mm. like my life because of fear of death. And, you know, even though I made a pact with God and myself and to fly back home, I'm not going to be thwarted by a, you know, by a fucking gang of Bolivian criminals. Yeah. So that was near death experience. Number one, What's number two? Ayahuasca. Ah. Yeah, it just went very deep. And Was this in Peru or? Colombia. Colombian Amazon. Yeah. Okay. And so ayahuasca, I'm sure people, most people would, would know, but for those who don't, it's like a herbal, I've never done it, but it's like, I'm not even sure exactly what it is. It's some naturally occurring. Tree root. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, that 
Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I was talking to a friend recently who has been struggling with some depression. And she's pretty convinced that an ayahuasca ceremony is what brought that on. Yeah. Which kind of goes against a lot of my perceptions about ayahuasca and what its its possibilities. But what was your experience like? I felt... I've always felt very fortunate with my experiences with ayahuasca. Um, luckily, I noticed that I got... Um, the first one was very subtle. I had it in Argentina. The, the effects were amazing. Have you seen a movie called Limitless? I know of it, but I haven't seen it. It's Bradley Cooper, this miracle drug thing? Yeah he, yeah, he takes a tablet and then he's 100% full potential. And everything, you know, everything he puts his intention on just happens instantly. Right. It's like, what would you do if you're a complete Superman? I felt like that after ayahuasca. Wow. A system detox reset. I was fully powered. And so then I realized I had the craving for it. I want to do another one because the effects naturally dropped off. I want to do another one. And I saw, oh, wow, I've got a bit of a craving for this thing. Like there's a sense of dependence and um, that's probably not a good thing. And luckily I saw that early enough. So I, you know, I've done maybe six or seven journeys in my life. But after I had maybe four, it was like, no, Jordan, you know what? this could be a really, really um, dangerous path to go down. Because I was young and with ayahuasca there is, you know, you can take it in the context of deep healing and wisdom and you can take it in the context of drug tourism and a crazy story. And Mm. um, I think these things are not to be trifled with. Seriously. Mm. And I know it's all the ray, I'm going to go to Peru and take ayahuasca. It's It's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why do you consider that a near death experience just the the journey like the drug made you hyper conscious of your impending death or or what no i i went on a journey i went on a ride i had some beautiful insights very powerful ones and then i kind of got to a rock bottom place and this is on the on the trip on the journey so you know within the span of a couple of hours i was staying like this was amazing like the context of it i i took a boat up the amazon to the top of brazil and and into leticia which is the colombian corner it's just popping over the the river before you enter peru and i got there and i looked around i was like i want to take ayahuasca here in the jungle this is what i really 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 want to do and i found a man on the street who looked like he might know about ayahuasca dodgy looking guy and and then I asked him hey do you know about ayahuasca and he made me wait a couple of days and then he gave me some instructions and he basically said go down to the port not the main one the local port and take a boat up the river take the boat up the river there's only going to be locals on it and you go up there on the third stop it'll take one hour on the third stop get off and you'll notice you'll stop because there's a policeman standing there with a gun you just get off and you walk past the policeman and walk through the jungle. There's a little trail. You walk through the jungle and you walk through for about an hour. And then you get to an opening and then there's a bell. And there's an opening with a lake and a bell. And you ring the bell and an old man will come and get you on a canoe. And you go into the canoe and, and the old man will paddle you through the jungle for about half an hour. And then you'll get to the, the finca of the farm of Don Rogelio. And he's the, he's the guy very authentic 68 year old shaman 
medicine man of all varieties of medicine, had an extraordinary garden. He had 10 sons and none of them wanted to learn his wisdom, mm-hmm. which was heartbreaking. That's interesting. Yeah, they were seduced by the town, the city, mm-hmm. the internet, mobile phones. Right. 10? Um, all 10? 10 sons. Wow. Yeah, no one wanted to learn his old, you know, folk wisdom from the jungle. Um, yeah, it's all the Westerners that are tired of the city and the, <laughs> the cell phone that are looking for men like this so they can continue the lineage. So that's kind of sweet in a way, well, luckily. And yeah, I did the ceremony with him. Was it just you? Three more people came up after me only because I gave them the instructions. It was like, you know, the guy on the beach, Leonardo DiCaprio? He finds the magical instructions for how to find the beach. Mm. Then he gives them away when he gets drunk one night to some, you know, other tourists. Mm. Yeah, it was like that. And I got up there and I was like, no one else is here. Scary. Cool. Yeah. And then I was gutted. (laughs) The three foreign people, you know, like four hours later, I was about to sit down. Just me and Don Rogelio. We could have open communication in Spanish. Just me and him with my cup of ayahuasca. And three of them walk in and he's inviting, you know, and they sit Mm. down. I'm like, shit. The gringos from the from the city have followed me out <laughs> with my instructions that I stupidly gave away, but it was a nice experience. And as I dived in on, you know, on my trip, the moment was um, vomited a lot. I was shaking. My whole body was shaking. Very strong physiological reaction. And towards the end of it, there was literally like a switch, like a light switch. And it was and it was like this is your life, on or off, on or off. And from the state that I was in, with the vomit, with the shaking, with the sweats, I was like, from this place right here, I don't care. Like, do I live, do I die? Makes no difference to me at all, because I feel like death right now, this could be crossing the line. Fuck it, Mm. let's, you know, anything is better than not being in this pain. And, uh... Yeah, I chose, in the end, I actually chose life, but I didn't choose it for me. I, I, I thought, if my family find out that I died because I ate some, you know, plant in the jungle, I'd be really upset. Mm. So that's the only reason why I pressed on. Wow. You may have said this already, but was that the last time you did it? No, you did it after that. And you decided to stop because you felt like, like we were talking about uh, during the break, my possible coffee addiction. Um, did you feel like you were like forming some sort of like addiction? Yeah. Potential for it. Hmm. I mean, I didn't, didn't do too much, but I had. Do you think that's common with ayahuasca? Like people getting kind of addicted to that high? Depends on the individual coming into it. But I've known people that have, you know, had a hundred journeys and outwardly it doesn't feel like they're any more, uh, grounded into this planet and ready to um, ready to make a beautiful impact to mm. culture or their relationships like I've met people that were just as uh, stuck or limited you know trapped by their own um, you know being in their own head by their own limitations and problems in life I think it's an easy escape Hey, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna participate in my life. I'm gonna go and, gonna go and heal myself in the jungle. Mm. So some people 
genuinely have got the maturity and the guidance guidance to, to go and heal and then some people can get lost in that whole world for years and years and years it takes an incredible amount of discernment I think to navigate that world and you know discernment you don't often have before you dive into it you get it along the way and so the woman Melissa who is going to be my my partner for running the vision quest she was deep in that and spent months and months and months working with different plant medicines in the jungle and luckily had good guides she's come out the other side now and it's like no actually I'm much more passionate about the vision quest I'm much more passionate about the temascal the sweat lodge um these feel much cleaner and they can have just as big or bigger impacts without the without the potential like you're not you're not ingesting anything it's it's um the transformation and the insight and the altered state that you go you go into is created from the the inside of your own body your own being mm. Yeah. you're not surrendered to what this plant might do with you which is an external agent and might not be for everybody yeah that sounds like a good stance to me absolutely and and i mean without question the most exhilarating life-affirming and transformative quote-unquote highs i've ever experienced have been natural through whether it's through sexual connection or meditation for me it's been a big one for sure i've done a couple of have you done any vipassana yeah, I've done a couple of those 10-day retreats, and um, it's such a cliche to say, you know, how transformative they are and stuff, but I mean, they really are. I hesitate to say that because I, I think it's really important to approach experiences like that with the beginner's mind, as we say, without a lot of expectations, without wanting a certain outcome or a certain transformation. But, yeah, for sure, like, I've had moments in there that are just... And it's completely natural, you know, stone cold sober, <laughs> just eating vegetables and rice. Um, and yeah, those are the ones that stick, I think, the most for sure. And I, I speak as someone who hasn't done any psychedelics or anything, so I guess I'm not really entirely qualified to say. But um, yeah, in my experience, natural highs are <laughs> the way to go. But I guess it's, it's probably inaccurate to call it a high. But anyway, transformation, natural transformation, perhaps we can say. So, tell me a little bit about your next adventure. So you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're doing a vision quest before you're facilitating one later this year, right? And what exactly is that going to entail? You told, you told me a little bit about it, but, and I'm particularly intrigued by the sweat lodge aspect, because I've, I've heard that expression a lot, but I'm not exactly sure what it involves. Like, could you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, we run in the Azamarata a online uh, mastermind program so Zan and I lead it's three months right now we're going to turn it into six so we can really convey everything that we want so we're going to have a six month online mastermind journey with a lot of preparation how to investigate your relationships with women your authenticity your vulnerability your dark side as a man um, you know what's in your closet sexually speaking and what kind of things can you actually embrace live out enjoy how can you become much more whole in your relationships with women and then yourself and at some point in all these experiences the learning has to drop into the body it has to be a way where okay i've thought this i tried this i practiced this i've had these discoveries but it, i want a full kind of cellular level integration mm. 
And I think it fits perfectly the theme of masculinity that we're looking into to do a vision quest because it's like when you're out there on the mountain, there is all the elements of a classic rites of passage, hardship, unpredictable weather, solitude, um, your own fears, like what if there's a fox or a wolf and it, you know, <laughs> eats me in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. Or like the, the noise that the owl is making is freaking me out. Or now that I can't distract myself on the cell phone, I have to face all of the insecurities and negative thoughts and stuff that naturally cycles through when I'm not distracted. So it's in terms of like, we want to help the guys, you know, the question driving this whole thing is what is, what is masculinity for me? What is my wild masculine essence? What is the piece of me that when I have it gives me like an unbreakable sense of confidence and certainty with women? Because no matter what women throw at me, I know that there's a part of me that is clear, that is rooted into the earth, that is permanent and unshakable. Mm. Every man has this as his birthright. And so we want to create an experience where he can feel that in his bones. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. And you're, I find it really interesting that you're doing one first. And is this going to be a solo thing? Like, or is there going to be a group of you guys? It's going to be a small group, yeah. but I, I mean, I'm not facilitating the vision quest for our group. Melissa, who's my partner in this is, I'm going to be a helper and I'm going to be walking around guiding because this is new terrain for me. Yeah. So I'm going to be coaching and leading the group for six months. And then it's okay. Melissa, who, you know, you've got a decade of experience doing this kind of thing. You lead this thing and, I, and I'm going to be sat on her shoulder watching, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I want to know what it's like firsthand. Do you feel like, again, we're talking about expectations or perhaps thinking when is, when is it appropriate to have expectations and when is it not? Are, do you have expectations for your experience of that? Like, are you looking for a certain transformation? Are you looking for an answer? Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're trying to tap deeper into that essential Jordan masculinity that's different from my masculinity, that's different from everyone's masculinity, like the essential Jordan that is... Jordan's masculine soul. Jordan's masculine soul. <laughs> Uncorrupted, unshakable masculine, masculine soul. soul. Um, I've written a list of intentions which I would like to ha- happen. Okay. Almost a bit like a Christmas list of mm. outlandishly brilliant things that I want for my life. Um, so, like, I'm charging my process up with that stuff for sure. Mm. Like, I want to claim the full fruition of the next stage of my evolution as a man, mm. for example. I want to have an experience of the highest state of consciousness, like a peak experience beyond anything I've had in my life before. So this is all the stuff that I'm asking for and I'm intending. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to come true. I might just come off the mountain and, you know, dust myself off and be like, oh, can I have a cup of coffee? That's all right, but it's getting a bit bored by the end. Sure. <laughs> you know, like it, it, the, there might be an underwhelming thing to it. But um, rites of passage wise... I've been studying the work of Bill Plotkin, who I mentioned to you the other day, who, I don't know, every now and then a new author or thinker or teacher comes on, well, at least comes onto my path and uh, just expands my mind massively. And he talks about developmental stages in a person's life. And I feel like I've been on a big spiritual, what he would call an underworld journey for about four years, nearly three, four years. 
really trying to you know dive into the depths of my soul and my psyche and my and psyche have spiritual experiences experiences and how has that been manifesting just like a lot of yoga and or a lot of meditation or like what, what kind of things have you been doing just reading a lot or oh it's been a full scale change of life yeah yeah how so um i made tapping into and embodying the next stage of consciousness i made that the the primary uh focus of my life because I knew that if I do this journey, like it, it's been more of a primary focus than work or anything like that. So I've been doing Azamarata things, of course, but my, my focus has been here on my on this part of my growth. Because I knew that, well, I just had to do it, comes calling. And so traveling the world, spiritual retreats, meeting with spiritual teachers, hanging out with completely new people, practicing spiritual practices, yoga has been a part of it. Um, deep relationships with people on a similar kind of path, exploring like the most full-on nooks and crannies of relationship. You know, some people say relationship is a spiritual crucible because if you intend so, you can learn more about yourself in a relationship with, with a conscious woman than you can anywhere else. So I've been entering into relationships with you know, like direct, full truth and intimacy on the table, learning, uh, yeah, very, you know, difficult and disturbing things about myself along the way. So on all fronts, yeah, making that my first priority. And I feel that I've had glimpses of spiritual states of consciousness, like the emptiness, the void, transcendent moments. I feel like I've dug into the depths of my soul and I feel that I'm naturally now gravitating to a, okay, I'm coming back out of the underworld. I don't want to be in that kind of exploration cocoon anymore. I feel like I've got the biggest pieces and ready to, to work again and actually start to master my craft after having gone down there. And so the other intention for my vision quest is I want, I want to design for myself a, a rites of passage where it's like, okay, Jordan, you spent your years seeking. You spent your years doing some deep work. You're now growing into um, actually coming back into the world and bringing all of your knowledge gained in the service of people to express your art, to build your community. And the vision quest for me is going to mark the line between uh, self-absorbed seeker, let's mm. say, bit of a damning way of putting it but you know most seekers are led by their own selves you can yeah. find jordan there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah with a link to the new program right? self-absorbed seeker because self seeking is you know a bit self-absorbed yeah i've been there I, I think i still am there in a lot of ways sure and i want to that might never end like that part of me might never end but i want to draw a line and say you know fundamentally I'm now fully back in the world and I'm going to start mastering and perfecting my, my work and my gifts so I can give that to people. And you're not exactly sure what that looks like right now. Yes, I'm very sure. You are. What the, the actual, the, the rite of passage or the... What comes after the, the rite of passage? Yeah, I feel... There's always a sense of not knowing, but it's going to be delivering 
my programs. Mm. So this, the the Azamarata Advanced with the Vision Quest, that's one six month thing, and I have another thing that I'm working on, which is much more, much more to do with intimacy and love, and working with men and women together so that they can. It's very possible to slow down time in our interactions with other people um, to bring like a meditative kind of awareness into everyday conversations and from there feel a lot more um, it's possible if we slow down enough just to feel how deeply we are in love with everyone that comes onto our path I totally agree and you know, full hatred and resentment and all that. <laughs> you know, the, the the dark stuff as well. And I mean, I've seen it. I've I've held spaces and coached men and women where they can meet and realize, holy shit! If I don't flinch, if I don't pull away, if I don't communicate on a superficial layer to avoid the awkwardness of this, if I can sit in those tense, awkward present moments, that can unfold and erupt into pure love between two people. That's that's a that's a skill set essentially that people can learn. I was going to ask you a question about planning, um, because it's like this is the the question I've been thinking about for a long time. Like, to what extent do you stay open to whatever life throws at you, and to what extent do you know you say no? I want X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to work my ass off to get X, Y, and Z. Um, because I, you know, we're talking today on December twenty eighth, on the cusp of the new year. Are you? How do you approach things like a new year, or just planning your life? Do you have any kind of vision of of where you want to be personally or professionally in one year, five year, ten years, or anything like that? Do you think that far in advance? Do you do you actively try to plan out and think about the man you want to be in ten years, for example? Sometimes, yeah. And do you think about like wife, kids, that kind of thing too? Yeah. 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 Or the lack of <laughs> or wife, not kids. wife and kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the planning thing is a bit of a a, a tightrope, right? You know, In what sense? Well, we can bring our, our, our strongest agenda to plans and we can pre-design our life and put it in a box and then we just follow that agenda. And uh, there's a power in that, right? We get to carve our way through life and decide the, the, the path that we make. But there's a huge limitation, which is the more I doggedly stick to my plans, the, miss, the more I miss the serendipity. And, and I think that there's a risk of deluding ourselves in that process into, into believing that we have way more control over things than we actually do more control over life more control over other people you see what i mean when you go too far down that planning route um yeah yeah we close ourselves off like we uh we make ourselves this is one of the biggest pieces or shifts that i've made we make we make ourselves the sole agents of our own transformation so we write the outcome of our own life that's way better than being a victim yes but um the ways in which life can transform you are way more grand than anything that you can think yes. for yourself. And I'll put women in that mix as well. Like the ways that a good woman can transform you into a greater man is of a higher caliber of vision than your own vision for yourself. 
like I can I could never have found the dimensions of myself that I've unlocked if it wasn't for women's feedback and love and poking at me over the years I'm I you know no one will reveal your shit to you like a good woman like no one (laughs) No, like, yeah. Whether whether it's your mother <laughs> or whether it's the love of your life, no one will reveal that to you. Like, yeah. Like a good well, it's obviously it's easier to take in when it's the love of your life rather than yes. your mother snagging. <laughs> yes, it is. It certainly is. <laughs> or it, well, I guess we would. It's different, but that that's the other path. Is the path of surrender, right? I wake up every single morning, and who I am is a blank slate, and I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm fully open to life, and that can you know drift you into all kinds of places. And so for me, there's a tightrope between I want to be as open as possible to, to my own agenda to make the things happen, but I want to also be open to, to life's inspiration and synchronicity of, of ultimately choosing a grander path for myself than I'm capable of choosing. So how to walk that tightrope is a constant challenge. This morning I went for breakfast, right? I, there's a place I like here. Um... I've been going there pretty much every morning for breakfast and I sit there with my pad and I draw out this whole because I've got an open next four months don't really need to be anywhere apart from close to the phone and I don't know if I go to India I don't know if I go to Japan and I haven't got a clear desire and I plan out what would an India trip look like and I spend an hour and a half these are all the places I would go to this is how long it takes to get up from the train from one place to the next really meticulous plan this is how long it would take me, like a really good set of planning. Then I leave the cafe and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do any of that. Mm. And so if I end up doing it, I've planned in the past, but I'm also willing to throw those plans away. It, it was like a doodle. This mm. is a, I'm doodling a possible shape for the future of my life, um, but I'm very open for that not to happen. Mm. But in case it does happen, I've, I've done that research, which is, you know, going to help my internal decision making I like that uh, that idea the the doodle as life plan that's kind of cool I like that because it's it can be symbolic and it can be profound but it's also doodle and you can add to it and you can mess around with it a bit I like that yeah yeah like what if someone phones up and it's like oh Jordan we need you here because of this really cool thing that that yeah. yeah, we want to make a TV series. Like, I wasn't going to stay in Romania and do that. Zan phones up, Jordan, we need you. We're going to make a TV series and put it online. What? Where do I have to be? Romania. Okay. When is it? Oh, we're going to start next week if you can come. Yeah. Done. So. And for anyone listening who hasn't seen it, another uh, shameless slash totally unaffiliated plug for ours, Amrata. Jordan was involved in... Um, I think it's 50 episode YouTube series. I think there's 50 episodes um, called In Search of the Alabaster Girl. A series of discussion with Zan, uh, your English friend Rich. Have I got yes. that name right? Yeah. And the Australian guy whose name I always forget. Owen. Owen, thank you. Yeah. Uh, apologies to Owen. <laughs> um, it's really great. It's uh, just a relaxed conversation series around women, sex, relationships, dating, uh, purpose. Adventure. Yeah, adventure. And it is really really great i looked forward to it every week when when episodes were released so i highly recommend it's all free it's all on youtube uh, if you search in search of the alabaster girl on that note winding things down i'm going to ask you another difficult question 
Great. Which perhaps you can you can tell me if, if you don't have anything to say. I'm but... Put up my teacup for this then. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Put it back down on my special. Um, right, your, your ultra special coaster. Um, so say someone's listening to this. You got me on the rails. I'm pretty tired after all this talking. So this is <laughs> like this is the softest and most open and willing to divulge uh, potentially incriminating things about myself moment oh. yeah so go well, for, I, go I, for broke I've, I've had several other strains that uh, that I've neglected um, damn yeah I uh, sounds like it would have been a good podcast <laughs> <laughs> well we're at we're at over two hours here already um, I want to know just for someone listening to this who has been inspired by you talking about your transformation and your journey with women and stuff Say a guy listening to this who just wants more out of life, more out of women. What's the first thing you'd tell that person? Read The Alabaster Girl. <laughs> the yeah. Alabaster Girl by Zen Perrion. Um, I feel like I should be getting a commission or something, but, but I'm not. No. Uh, the Al- well, do you want to talk about the, what The Alabaster Girl is? Yeah. Um. Zan, who I work with, who created the Aza Murata, um message, he he came out of he, he grew up in the in the woods in northern Canada, right? Fellow Canadian. Yep, and he he came out of the woods when he was about nineteen and went to the big city and I think was completely ill-equipped to deal with the sophistication that a big city brought and understanding with the women there as well, and he fell completely in love with women. And he spent 30 years um, exploring, like, how can I be this great lover of women? And took him on this whole process. He kind of became this great seducer, this great Casanova, Don Juan type guy. He's he's featured fairly prominently in in the book we mentioned earlier, The Game, by Neil Strauss. Yeah. Yeah, which is probably how I would imagine most people have heard of him still. Most people write and it's like, oh, I heard of you because I heard of Zan in the game and he was the, you know, the authentic guy in that book and I resonated with that and then they find this. So his, I mean, he he became this great seducer of women and then even as years go by, his journey is more even letting that go. Hey, I don't even have to be a great seducer. I don't even have to be a great Don Juan. Just letting go of the layers, more raw, 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 raw. So essentially it's a spiritual journey with women as the catalyst. That's what he writes about. And there's a lot of how-to type stuff in here. How does he speak? What are the mistakes most men make? What are insights about the way women see the world and see men? So he, he, he writes this epic book, um, which is not a how-to book. They he was going to make it a how-to book and then he decided, no, I want to, I want to create something much more from the heart, a work of art rather than another manual for men, right? There's enough manuals for men out there. Um, So he's created this book and for me, the most touching parts are, so there's three parts in the book, right? And they all kind of interlace. One is this conversation with a woman on the train. Another is this great kind of, the more practical how-to, what does it actually look like and entail to seduce, to romance? Who, who is this romance artist and how does he act? So he gives his advice in the middle piece. And then every few pages or so, there is a, a, a vignette, like a memory. And central to Zan's philosophy, going back to death, is 
you know, when we're old and dying and we look back on our lives, all the money we made, all the stuff we accumulated is all going to dissolve into insignificance. The only question we're going to be left with is, did um, did I really show up as a man? Like, did I speak my truth into this earth while I had my 78 years of opportunity? Did I show up when it really counted? And did I see... Question number two, did I see enough beauty? Have I really loved and been loved? Which I think is the only important thing. Yeah. That famous um, article slash book that went viral about that palliative care nurse. Do you remember that? A couple of years ago. She said pretty much across the board, the men she spoke to who were in their, you know, on their deathbeds, pretty much across the board, they all spoke about I wish I had invested more in my relationships. I wish I had loved more. I wish I'd spent less time at the office and more time with my lover, with my wife. Um, I found that really striking. That gave me pause. Um, I want to I wanna read something out, if I can. Absolutely. Because we've had a grand podcast here. This is not a normal 30-minute <laughs> chat, is it? We've um, taken up the most of the afternoon with this. So this is something that I used to do at my live events and I haven't done it for a long, long time. I should mention too, while Jordan's looking for the passage in question, that I've recommended the book to several women and across the board, they've really gotten a lot out of it too. Um, and they found it very moving and very touching and inspiring. Um, so yeah, it's not just for, for men by any stretch. I'm sure you've had similar comments from women. Yeah. Yeah, I've given it to women and uh, they're like, oh my God, this is a book about me. He's writing to me. How, how, how does <laughs> he do this? How, how does he know? Right. And, and they get sucked in. And, right. Yeah. That's cool. Very, very. So this is my one message I would give for better or for worse. And uh, I shall, I absolve myself of any karmic implications of leading young men and women astray. <laughs> before I before I read this, that's a great disclaimer. I'm going to steal that. That's, that's yeah. really good. I like that a lot. Yeah, you're you're totally um, responsible for your own life and the way that that pans out. But this is my greatest advice for the person who comes and says what you say. Um, Alabaster Girl, page twenty. Does she not sleep? Each time I awaken in the night, she is still close to me, smiling at me, stroking my hair. She only smiles, saying nothing, saying everything, surrounding me in her aura of hidden things. An island girl, dark-skinned and opulent, belonging to different constellations than I will ever know. A distant girl from a distant land, a land of sand and sarongs, of topaz and tango. She guards me in the night, watching over me, cradling me tight to her breasts, protecting me in my dreams. Her breath hum is all around me, an unseen force with no beginning and no end, like the hot wind of this beautiful country that created her. I close my eyes and listen to her heartbeat. Her purity is so pure it cleanses me, her sweetness so sweet it makes me cry. She is eternal. I can only think that if a man has never experienced a moment like this in his life, 
a moment surrounded by the whirling flowerness of an island girl, with the scent of orange blossoms salt on her skin, her body the colour of café au lait and as hard and smooth as porcelain, and little bits of sand still flecked all about her knees. Then he needs to stop his life right now and find it. Only then has his life been lived. Only then can he smile up to God and say, Thank you. Now I understand. Now I have seen the majesty of your works. I have touched my feet upon sacred ground. And now it is enough. I can kiss the sky and die. No wonder Gauguin went to Tahiti to paint. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really beautiful passage. And if I may be so bold, I would only add that you can find that essence of that woman in all four corners of, of the world, I think, if you look hard enough, if you speak your truth. Um, I can't imagine a better note to, to close on, Jordan. Um, if people want to find more about you or connect, how can, how's the best way to do that? Um, Azamarata.com is the home of everything that we're doing. The, you can find out about the Amarati community, the Alabaster Girl, the book that I just read out, and look at our events and programs that we do. And if you want to speak to me specifically, just write to jordan at arzamarata.com or look me up on Facebook. Very cool. Jordan, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, uh, for being here today. Pleasure's mine. Thanks, brother. What a cool guy, right? Yeah, I really like sharing the same space as Jordan and listening to his insights on these topics. I, uh, I really like talking to him, and I hope to get him back on the podcast sometime in the not-too-distant future. And a quick reminder that if you enjoyed this conversation and you'd like to learn more about Jordan or Arza Murata or anything we talked about in today's episode, please go to humansinlove.com where you can find show notes and links to everything we discussed. A quick note before I let you go that if you're enjoying Humans in Love and you'd like me to continue making new episodes, please take 23 seconds out of your day, use your podcast provider of choice, and go to Humans in Love, leave a rating and a review. They mean a lot to me and they are really appreciated as I continue to hopefully spread the word about my new podcast. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, my friends, all too short. So be sure to embrace every single moment. I'm going to go do that right now. I think I'm going to get in the bicycle and enjoy some of this beautiful fresh air, sunshine, all those good things. I will talk to you next Tuesday. 